Welcome to SoupX Radio. I'm your host, Bob Fitz. We're a weekly talk show devoted to startup and early state entrepreneurship, venture investing, and small businesses in general. And you can find us uh, in the iTunes store and on SoundCloud now by searching for SoupX Radio. That's S-U-P-X Radio. And also, please remember to follow us on Twitter at the SoupX, and that's at T-H-E-S-U-P-X. Our guest today is my friend Heather Jean McNeil, who's the global director of Babson College College's Wind Lab. Heather Jean, thanks so much for uh, joining us today, and welcome to SoupX Radio. Yeah, Bob, thank you so much for having me. So, look, Babson's an awesome school, and uh, some people uh, may know it or may not, and so maybe a good place to start with is telling people a little bit about Babson, because I think one of the really interesting things about it is the emphasis on entrepreneurship there, and I'm curious... How does one feel that at Babson versus other colleges? Yeah, so great question. Um, Entrepreneurship has always been someone at the heart of Babson's DNA. Um, We were founded as a business school back in 1919 by Roger Babson, who was an entrepreneur himself um, and business theorist. So historically, Babson was known as a a family business institution, um, but I would say about 25 years ago, we really put ourselves on the map um, with entrepreneurship. So recognizing um, there was value in not only existing businesses, but also business creation, um, we, we really made entrepreneurship the heart of our curriculum. So more recently, I would say Babson has taken a triple bottom line approach, um, and we teach sort of our pedagogy revolves around teaching our students and stakeholders to use entrepreneurship to create social and economic impact simultaneously. Um, and there's some, let's see, there's some elements of our secret sauce, I think, that have really put us on the map. So um, all of our undergraduate students take a course called FME, where they actually work in groups to start and launch businesses in their first year. Um and many of them, some of them continue on with those businesses or start new businesses during their time at Babson. Um, one of our pedagogical elements or um, kind of methodologies that, that we're really well known for is entrepreneurial thought and action. So, you know, we teach, we teach how to take action and experiment your way to market. Um, that's certainly something that we've also infused in WinLab as well. Which is a uh, great transition, and for you uh, to now explain, what is WinLab? Yeah, so WinLab, WIN is an acronym for Women Innovating Now, is an eight-month business accelerator designed by women for women. Um, We see ourselves as an alternative to the typical venture accelerators that I'm sure you're familiar with, the Y Combinators and the Techstars, um, to really foster the talent of high-growth women founders. So that's a key distinction. When uh, it's only for, is it women C level or women founders can be a part of WinLab? Yeah. So we are focused on founder development. Um, we so we our cohorts are usually made up of twenty to twenty five women founders of companies. And. Uh, how many locations do you have? Are you just at the school itself or do you have uh, satellites around the country? Yeah. So we, we started um, on Babson college's campus. We, we started examining the problem that there was a lack of women 
engagement in our co-curricular entrepreneurship offerings and accelerators um, and actually saw that that problem was reflected in the broader ecosystem. So less than 12% of women are represented in the, the more traditional venture accelerators. Um, so we, we founded the program on campus in 2013. In 2014, we moved the program downtown into downtown Boston, um, where we built a relationship with the mayor's office actually to offer five seats, five scholarship seats to um, women living in the city of Boston. And then very excitingly, last year, we were able to bring WinLab to, to Miami, uh, which is our second location, um, thank you, thanks to a generous grant from the Knight Foundation. So we're currently operating um, the lab in both Boston and Miami. And you said that cohorts are eight months. I'm assuming, is it eight months and a month off, or is it just every calendar year or school year or something you do eight months? How does the cycle run out of curiosity? Yeah, so we, we run on the academic calendar. So the program kicks off in September and runs through the end of April. Um, we launch our admissions process in the spring. So typically in March, April timeframe. And, um, you know, we, we vet and select our companies by summer. And then the program kicks off in September. Um, this last year, we actually we kick off our program with a three day offsite retreat. Um, this year, we brought the Miami Entrepreneurs North to our campus um, and had our retreat with both the Boston and Miami winners. So we had 44 women founders come together as part of our program kickoff. It was really fabulous. And when did that happen? Was that recently or a couple months ago? Or Yeah, that was the third weekend of September. Okay, so the Miami people hadn't uh, weren't in jeopardy of freezing yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I think they actually enjoy bringing their fall sweaters up, but you mean sweater? Awesome. I don't think that's yeah, plural. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So, I mean, everybody who's listening today is familiar with accelerators, and there's probably a lot of people here who have either been in one or know somebody who has. But so, is there? Tell me a little bit about your curriculum. I'm always curious. A lot of them are similar, but I'm I'm curious. You know, what is? How does that eight month? roll out? I mean, are you assigned a mentor at the beginning? And, you know, I'm just curious how, what your model is. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And I think, I think accelerators vary, particularly from the perspective of how much content they offer their startups. Um, we were, we really offer a, a pretty robust curriculum, um, almost run like an MBA class in that sense. So every week we meet for three hours, um, one evening a week. And during that time, the entrepreneurs get content focused on critical startup issues from operations to finance to marketing, customer acquisition. Um, and we really, you know, we use Babson faculty, but we also bring in uh, experts and serial entrepreneurs um, from the community like yourself, Bob, to help deliver our content Um and something that we're really intentional about thinking about, and I think this is really important for early stage entrepreneurs, is to is to be surrounded by people that they relate to, that they see themselves in, because it really helps boost self-efficacy and confidence throughout the process, right? So we're very intentional about the types of experts that we bring in um, to help deliver our content. So in addition to, the, to those evening sessions, every winner is matched with a mentor. We call them a coach um, that they meet with twice a month. And they also get a 
additional mentorship from our entrepreneurs and residents and our investors and residents who host periodical office hours as well. Um, I would say the key element to the experience too is that all of our entrepreneurs are held accountable to monthly milestones. Um, so they, at the end of each month, they pitch to a group of experts um, that really shows their business traction and over the course of those milestones, they both develop a growth plan and then execute on the growth plan. So by the end of the program, they host a board meeting and share the their business results from their WinLab experience. Is there, so a lot of accelerators uh, have uh, a demo day is basically the equivalent of their graduation day. Is that your model too? Yeah, so we we flipped the model a little bit on its head. We actually do our demo day in early in the fall. Um, so our demo day in Miami is coming up this Thursday, actually. I will be there. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, I was a little sly about the other satellite question earlier. I was, <laughs> that was for the audience's benefit. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, and, you know, that's really, we, during the course of our accelerator, we do our best to build exposure for the companies um, in the program. So our attitude is why wait until the end? Um, so we, we do ours early on. And is that just to, I, I'm assuming they've only been in for what, six weeks, two months at this point. And so is that to like give them a very quick taste of what it's gonna be and get some early feedback? Is it to shock the system? I mean, what's the, it is definitely you flip the model. I mean, it's usually yeah. the graduation day. Yeah, you know, the, it is somewhat strategically um, aligned with our curriculum. So, you know, in the, their second month in the lab, they're challenged to develop customer acquisition strategies. And, you know, we really emphasize collecting as much market data and customer data as possible. So we see the demo night as an opportunity for them to really interface with the public to be able to do that. Um and to make it kind of an ongoing process for them to to test their ideas and test their acquisition strategies directly. At the end of the process, uh, do you have a fund that invests in some of the better ones, or do you facilitate them introductions to capital providers? Um, how how does the kind of uh, introduction to capital really work with the WinLab model? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think this is something that's really key to the, your listeners in terms of thinking about what accelerator is would be a good fit for them. Um, so so one of the, our unique qualities is that we don't provide directly provide funding, but we also don't take equity. Um, so our participants aren't having to give, give up any business equity, particularly um, in light of the fact that they're their early stage. Um, but with that said, the program is also designed to, you know, we do pitch and finance training so that by spring, um, our, our founders are prepared to understand what their funding strategy is. Um, and then, you know, we continuously provide them with, with as much relationship capital and exposure as possible for them to execute on that. Um, to date, we've our alums have raised over $6 million in growth capital. It's certainly something that we're very passionate about in terms of closing that, the gender, the gender gap when it comes to fundraising. Um, 
but we also recognize that not every entrepreneur in our program will raise growth capital and that's not necessarily their their path to success i forgot to ask earlier and this will help put your last remark into context how long has winlab been around yeah, so we were founded in 2013. Um, this is our fifth program year. Okay, so our, you're, our second cohort in Miami. So you've been putting out on average about a million and a half a year have been raised for these companies, which is fantastic. Right, exactly. Ha, have y'all considered, you know, adding a, a, a second round demo day at the end where they're all uh, polished up and you get a bunch of investors in to uh, 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 accelerate that introduction process, or is it just not your model? You know, we're constantly experimenting with what works best for entrepreneurs. Last year, as part of our inaugural um, finale, we call it the WinLab finale in Miami, we had a we had a pitch competition where we gave away some cash. Um, we had a $10,000, a $5,000, and a $2,500 prize. Um, and, you know, well, I think we feel... That's pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. That's real money for a startup. I mean, especially first it, place. It is. It is, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I think those funds were really impactful for the teams that won. Um, so we might consider doing that again. I think, you know, the emphasis really isn't on the money from our perspective. I think at that point, it's, it's really about um, celebrating the business traction that's been made and, and figuring out how to continue to elevate the entrepreneurs. So we're continuing to experiment with that and i think we would consider doing um a demo style finale as well and is there a charge to get in the program i mean do they pay tuition or or i mean you know you don't it's free currently it is free um we're very grateful to our our funders and sponsors that have enabled us to to offer the program um free to people that are accepted it's something that we that we're contemplating from a sustainability perspective. Sure, um, <laughs> I, I can imagine. As you can imagine. Yeah, well, I've seen yeah. the space that y'all are in too here in Miami. It's it's probably I think it might be the nicest co working space in all of Miami. I mean, it's awesome, and I know you have great resources. I mean, Patty Fletcher is a friend of mine and has been a guest on this show, and I think she's one of your uh, ERRs, isn't she? And uh, so that, I mean, those are amazing. I know she's not paid, but those are great resources. But yeah, you know, I think we, we really do offer a pretty robust um, body of resources, to your point, right? So all of our entrepreneurs receive 24-7 access to, to the CIC location in Miami. Um, and then you know, our program is really fueled by powerhouse men and women that, that support the entrepreneurs from a mentorship perspective. Um, and you know, I, I think we're, we're trying to figure out what makes sense for the entrepreneurs, right? So we all know the early stage entrepreneurial struggle. Um, you can't really charge them too much money for participating. And, and I think it's it becomes a big decision for the entrepreneur as well in terms of exchange of equity. So Sure. I mean, um, at some point, if they're paying, they're going to say, okay, then I actually want you to line up financing on the backside, and then you end up in the Y Combinator model. So. Right. Yeah. Yep. Well, look, so. I, I think the quality of your resources show. I, I've told you this in private before, and I'll say it on the air. I go to a, a lot of startup events, uh, at the, you know, around the country and definitely throughout the state of Florida. And I meet people from a lot of accelerators and there's some quality uh, uh, participants. But I'll have to say when I went to your demo day last year uh, and it, as you said, it only occurred after 
your demo days on the front end. So it's only after two months of, let's call it training. Uh, I was I was super impressed with how far along they already were. And I was super impressed with uh, the sophistication of the women uh, founders that I met. I, I thought that they were a cut above, uh, definitely a cut above most of the accelerator products or, you know, that I see. And uh, it's a real credit to how you've structured your program, the amount of resources you bring in, your curriculum. I, I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm very impressed. Thank you so much, Bob. I mean, <laughs> you know, I have to be honest with you. It was quite, we were astounded when we came into Miami and, just meeting the women entrepreneurs and founders on the ground and the response we got from an application perspective. I mean, there's so much burgeoning talent. Um, so, you know, we, we had our initial cohort last year. Um, you know, we, we had a sweep from a press and business plan competition perspective. Um, our entrepreneurs were out there winning some of the higher profile, um, competitions including you know the pitch competition that you host at Soupbox was mm-hmm. was won by a, a winlab company apolonix so mm-hmm. we were really proud and, and again our, our second cohort i think is also reflective of of the talent that's there in miami so it, it felt like the right time to bring a program like win um to be able to to really help catalyze those founders and and elevate their profiles so out of curiosity uh how do you go about selecting the founders that you do? So we've already established that only women founders can apply. How many people from a, is it one person per company actually formally goes through your program or if two women founded a program, could they both come for your through or how does, how does that work? First of all? Yeah. So we encourage co-founders to apply. Um, I think we've, we've decided that we, we look at, we look at co-founding teams, but, um, we allow two, two seats per company. Um, so, you know, that of course is encouraged. Um, we know, we all know that, um, co-founding teams have a greater chance of success. And then is your application, what's your application process like? Yeah, so our application process is a little bit different from the perspective that, of course, we're looking at the profile of the business, but we're also very interested in the entrepreneur because we do expect that the company may evolve and pivot during the time in the lab. Um, so we're looking at the, the viability of the business, the kind of personal story, strength, passion, credibility of the entrepreneur, and then really looking at the timing of the venture. So, you know, the, the best companies, the best fit, I would say, for WinLab are companies that have a, a prototype that's been market tested. So beta stage or post beta stage companies that are really trying to figure out how to scale. Um, so that's really our sweet spot. With that said, we've taken entrepreneurs at the idea stage that have built as much traction as some of our later stage companies. And, and we've, we've had some later stage companies in our portfolio as well, which I think actually kind of adds to how the community works by having a diversity of, of industry, but also of stage. All right. Now are, have y- are y'all considering, I mean, I know you're involved in Boston and now you're in Miami. Are there, are there any plans to be elsewhere too, or is that it for now? No, 
Yeah. So, so my role at this point is really focused on expansion, was, which is exciting. Um, we're currently focused on bringing WinLab to San Francisco. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm so sure you're... Well, that is now no longer a secret. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, sure you're aware of the latest wave of media reporting on sexual harassment and the mistreatment of women in, across sectors, including in the innovation space. So, you know, we think it's the right time to bring WinLab to the Bay. Um, we're also looking at some international expansion opportunities, both in LATAM and the Middle East. Wow, that's incredible. And so it sounds like San Francisco is first up. Uh, when are y'all planning on kind of turning on the lights there? Yeah, so it'll be a while. Um, You know, we're just getting in on the ground, trying to understand kind of where we fit in the ecosystem. We, of course, have to raise funding to bring it to fruition. Um, But but the team's really excited about that. So is the goal for like maybe the fall of 2018 or maybe the year after that? Yeah, I think 2018, 2019. Probably oh, that's and that and then the other ones perhaps would come after that. Um, so we'll switch gears a little bit to more. I ask a couple of questions just about people who participate in accelerators in general. Um, again, I was impressed with the quality, but I have to imagine that even with your excellent program, there are uh, there has to be. And you said you said 20, 20 per cohort, so twenty a year. Have you had any washout, and if so, why? Uh, I, yeah, they, they just there's too much going on. They can't keep up. They can't. They can't stay. They can't maintain that. You, I think you said there was a weekly or monthly commitment, and it's just too distracting. Or maybe it's not an issue. Maybe you've never had one that didn't make it. But I'm curious if it's happened, why it's happened, and what lessons could be learned for the other startups in our audience that are going into accelerators. How they could learn from that. Yeah, great question. Um, so, of, of course, you know, we, we've had some some companies that haven't continued. Um, I'm not sure we'd be doing our job right if we didn't, right, in some ways. Um, we Let's see, our most current statistics says that about 75% of our participants um, are still operating their business or have started new businesses. So we're, we're looking at about a 25% failure rate. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of see... I see them in two buckets. One is that in the first couple of years of the program, we were working with students and focused on vendors primarily in the ideation stage. And I think when you're operating super early stage, you kind of get to that moment of whether or not you're going to be all in to work on your company or maybe it's time to graduate and get a job and make some money. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure mom and dad might have some, uh, I'm sure I was going to say, I'm sure mom and dad might have something to say about that too. Yeah. Um, And and then I think, and I'm sure this won't be surprising to anyone that's listening is the second bucket is really, you know, at at this point we're really working with companies that are, I want to say operating in the Valley of death stage where they've, you know, they've scaled, they have some revenue coming in, but they, they really need to raise growth capital or figure out what their avenue for growth is going to be in order to, to take the business to the next level, support a team, boost inventory, et cetera. Um, um, and I think, you know, there's kind of the pure market competition forces. And I think the funding landscape, as we know, is, is really challenging for women. And there's a whole myriad of factors that come into play there that, um, that, that sometimes don't always work out. 
Are there certain verticals that uh, seem to be more popular? Does that change over, you know, the years? Have you seen trends? I mean, I imagine that AI and robotics are interesting and, you know, that wasn't the case, for, you know, several years ago when you got started. I'm, I'm just curious, uh, or is there kind of perennially certain se segments that uh, you you seem to see more than others? Yeah, it's inter it is interesting how that happens each year. I think so. We're industry agnostic, which I think is one of the the really fun elements of our model is that we we work with businesses from all different industries, and it creates a really collaborative culture inside the lab. But that said, we we often will recruit for or see trends around um, kind of mini cohorts that come into the lab. So. Last year, we had a really strong presence of ed tech companies in the Miami lab, which was interesting. We just had a lot of talent come in with, um, you know, really sensational ed tech products. And so there, we had four or five entrepreneurs that kind of had their own little cohort inside the lab. I'm just thinking this year in Boston, we have a, a similar phenomenon around food, food entrepreneurship. So we do see kind of mini trends. Um usually have a presence of consumer product and fashion, tech. Um, and I would say those are probably our predominant, predominant industries. And what is, what is success for you? I mean, I'm sure just because of who you report to in some of the statistics you've already mentioned that, you know, tracking ongoing success, et cetera, but just kind of more broadly, maybe even emotionally, how, how do you ex define success? Well, that's a great question. You know, obviously we're collecting the, the standard business metrics of, you know, company revenue, company size, um, how many dollars raised, it's kind of those growth metrics. We also look at, and this is something I feel really passionate about, and I think something that's really distinctive about the lab is we look at self-efficacy transformation, which sounds really fancy, but essentially we're just measuring um, confidence levels around um, personal ability, business ability, when the entrepreneurs come into the program and when they leave the program. Um, and we're definitely seeing positive, positive data there. Um, how do you measure that? Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but how do you measure that? Yeah, we have a survey instrument that was developed by Babson that we use. It's I think maybe 60 questions. So it's delivered uh, right before the retreat that I mentioned and then at the very end of the program. So we're able to compare that data. Um, we also have been working with a external researcher to do some qualitative um, interviews with participants as well. And, and again, seeing some really interesting self-reported self-efficacy transformation as well. Um, you know, and that's something that we really pay attention to is that we were really focused on founder development and getting our entrepreneurs to think, think and act big. Um, and so, so that data has been really important. And then finally, and this felt really important in Miami last year, um, I mentioned kind of our, our, the rock stars we had that kept winning business plan competitions and garnering press is how are we kind of, and still are. And still are. Right? Yeah, I've, exactly. seen, I've seen a couple of them lately. Yeah. Um, this year's cohort, Caribou. Um, that's who I was, been hearing. That's yeah. who I was thinking of. Max Tuckman has just been 
winning everything and you know, around the country, not simply here in South Florida with Caribou. And she's an impressive person. That's exactly right. Um, such an amazing role model. And so, you know, I think from from our perspective, how are we changing the way that people think about entrepreneurship and elevating the profile of women founders and elevating that conversation is also just a really important metric for us. Um, in, in general, if what advice would you give to someone who's thinking about getting into an accelerator program? I mean, I know yours is specifically uh, uh, geared toward women founders, but what if I'm a startup and thinking, okay, I've got you know a little bit of traction, and I I, I could certainly use more advice and a more structured program, and I kind of know what I'm do, doing, but some of the stuff I really don't. Accelerator would be good for me. I think. How how what would you recommend how how they evaluate whether it really is for them and what can they expect, um, and and some of the complications you know sometimes they just people think that oh every decision is easy and the outcome will be. Yeah, I think this is a really important question because it's such an important decision. Um, you know, I think every decision you make around your time, especially in those early stages, can be really critical to your success and your outcomes. And so I don't think the decision should be made lightly. I think, you know, I think it's been fant- like fantastic to see the role that accelerators have played over the past several years. Um and from a growth gap perspective and a early stage support perspective, and I think also just credibility, right? So it really brings a lot of credit credibility to the entrepreneur. But the flip side of that, of course, is the amount of input and commitment um, that the entrepreneur and sometimes equity, right, puts on the line for the experience. Um, we certainly expect a lot from our entrepreneurs yeah, there's more and chefs so, in the kitchen, so you better be ready for that. Yeah, and there's expectations and um, commitments. So, you said that com- they, you know, they have to sign up that they will do X per month, and you know that's in, in a way they have somebody they report to. Exactly. Um, so I would say one of the top things to think about is fit, right? So um, as you're applying to these accelerators, you know, reach out, network with participants investigate who the staff is, try to understand the culture. Like, is, is it a place that will help push you forward? Is it the kind of place that you're going to want to wake up and go every day or however many times a week? And, and is it the type of community that you really want to be part of? Because I think all of those things are built to help accelerate your success. But if it's not the right fit, then sometimes it can actually have the opposite effect. Yeah, I would say the other thing that I would want the uh, the listeners to consider if they're thinking about going into accelerators, there's also, you know, certain accelerators for certain verticals. And, if, you know, if you can find one and get in, all the, the admission rates are, are pretty uh, severe um, that, you know, you, you specialize in addressing female founders, but there's, you know, music accelerators in Nashville and Austin, et cetera. And, you know, perhaps your vertical aligns with a certain accelerator. So you need to do research. It's not, sometimes it's a simple decision because it's geography based for economic reasons or otherwise. But if you have the means, there may be the ability to go to another part of the country that specializes in your vertical. And you may not be aware of that. So do some research. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, I think the biggest value of accelerators, which I say this about WinLab all the time, is 
you know, the funding's great, the expertise is great, but really the community, I think, is what, you know, we've, we've seen time and time again, when surveyed at the end of the program, the thing that the, that our winners talk about the most is the value of the community, the value of the sisterhood. Because um, I think, you know, having those people by your side at 11 o'clock at night, when maybe you haven't had such a great day, or sometimes they can make the those like critical, critical introductions. Um, it's just a really key piece. So I think really looking at that and thinking about how you would fit in with the community is, is important as well. And I would assume that that social or socialization aspect uh, is assessed somehow in the interview process. It's not simply a piece of paper application. Uh, is that correct? I mean, you get it's like interviewing people. You want to make sure that everybody's going to contribute to the team in a positive way, regardless of whether they have a brilliant idea, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. So I think that makes us unique too, is that because we work with cohorts, we really curate our cohorts and from that perspective. And we're looking for founders that are going to give back um, and want to give back from in a community kind of way. So our first round, um, the entrepreneurs just apply. It's an it's a it's a pretty short online application and an executive summary. And then our second round, we do 30 minute virtual or in person interviews, um, and then we end with kind of a, a pitch day type of um, finals event. So Heather Heather Jean, out of curiosity, had have you worked at an ex- other accelerator before you did this? And then I'll explain why I'm asking that in a second. You know, I haven't actually. Um, my perspective around founding this program came from as an entrepreneur. So I came out of the startup space. I had a fashion startup for three years um, and, you know, experienced what I saw as some of the barriers to female founders. Um, I pitched, actually, I was accepted into the, the finals for a, a very successful high profile accelerator two years in a row and, and pitched to the same group of, um, you know, to be candid old white men that I didn't feel like understood my business. So, you know, I sort of came from that firsthand perspective of, of being able to build an accelerator that um, reflected more of the kind of experience I was looking for when I was in the trenches with my business. So, and the reason I asked the question because was to, to ask you this one, and that is, so how do you, how is WinLab different, you think, than other accelerators uh, and its uh, quintessential focus on women founders? Is it curriculum? Is it certain aspects of training? Is it because it's also run by women why is it so effective? Because I know it is. I've, I've seen the product, so to speak. Um, and how is it different? Well, I, I think we're different in kind of two key ways. I, I would say one is, you know, we used, I talk about self-efficacy. We use self-efficacy research and theory to really think about a programmatic design that would be successful at increasing self-efficacy, but also creating an environment where women could think big and act big. Um, And so there's different ways that we've done that, but it's been a very intentional design. Um, The the second thing I think that makes us different is, you know, you, there is something that happens when you build a community of 
all women founders. Um, and, you know, it's been really interesting. I think there's some controversy around whether or not that's the right thing to do. And are we, are we doing a disservice to women? How are, you know, how are we bringing men into the, into our systems? And it's something we're very, very thoughtful about. We don't shy away from that conversation at all, actually. Um, and we work with great men like you, Bob, right, from a mentorship perspective, because we know that that's such a critical piece of the puzzle. But I do think that what what we've sort of stumbled onto intentionally, but also um, from a success perspective, is just making sure that we're creating a different kind of environment for women to learn and experiment that I don't think really exists in the broader ecosystem. Um, so I personally feel really passionate that at those very early stages, it can have such a positive impact to create an environment that is particular to the needs of women. Um, and we're, we don't shy away from having the difficult conversations, right? So when it comes to the funding landscape, you know, we all know the data. Babson came out with a study last year the, from the Diana Project that showed that less than 2.7% of venture funding, venture capital funding goes to um, women founder CEOs, uh, less than 20% of angel funding. And so, you know, we're, we're having the conversations about why that is. We're looking at the research. We're bringing in experts that prepare our founders to deal with those realities, right? So our goal is just to equip them with the knowledge and tools that they need to, to be successful in those arenas. And we're not shying away from it. And what are some of those issues? Why is it happening? Why is it 2.7% other than, I mean, you know, I, I'd be curious what your opinion is of the research. Yeah, so I think predominantly, um, you know, the, the, the themes that come up here are around relationship capital, right? So getting funded is very much about who you know, and some of the particularly venture capital circles are, are predominantly um, run by men. And sort of their relationship capital, their social ties um, in terms of the entrepreneurs they have access to is how the issue has been talked about. Um, and sort of the homophily issue is, is also what the research points to, which is that um, people respond effectively. So if the investment circles are being dominated by men, they're going to invest in the entrepreneurs that look like them, talk like them, act like them and have similar interests. Um, with all of that said, there's some encouraging research that's been coming out um, by one of my colleagues at Babson, actually uh, Lakshmi Balachandra, that shows that it's actually not whether or not you're a man or a woman, but that masculinity and femininity plays into it. And that women that pitch, that um, exhibit more masculine traits and qualities are rewarded as well as men, right? So if men exhibit feminine qualities, um, that creates a disadvantage for them. And so I think, you know, I think this, the more um, minute research that's coming out that's really looking at the interactions in the pitch room are really important because if it's not just about being a woman, if it's not about your sex, I think it's really encouraging to think more about how gender and gendered behaviors play into those interactions. But what do you do about that from a teaching perspective? And the reason I ask is, is that, you know, uh, while there are a 
lot of funds that are being raised around the country that focus solely on women founders or women C-level startups. And, you know, 37 Angels and Golden Seeds are probably some of the more well-known, but there's lots of others. I mean, there's Jump Fund in Chattanooga. There's there's dozens coming up. But still, uh, I I wouldn't say it's a drop in the bucket, but it's, you know, a few ounces. Uh, And the reality is, is that, like it or not, uh, the majority of uh, venture funds, whether they're seed or you know true venture funds, are run by men. So uh, how do you prepare them for the reality of what they're going to have to interact with, not what the ideality? Right, exactly. Um, well, you know, I think knowledge is power. So from a training perspective, you know, we bring in as much of the research and data as we can to help inform the process. Um, and our entrepreneurs relate to it differently, right? Some of our entrepreneurs see in their experience, they found that uh, they think being a woman founder works to their advantage. Um, I would say predominantly most most of our founders have been have felt discouraged during the fundraising process. Um, you know, but we look at it from a training perspective, right? So pure, pure value of the pitch and and thinking about professional and entrepreneurial presence in the pitch room kind of based around some of these themes that we talked about relation cap, relationship capital is huge and and that's an area that we really focus on for the entrepreneurs how can we help them infiltrate and be part of the networks that will help deliver them funding um and then you know thirdly and this is really important is thinking about diversity of team right so who do they need to surround themselves with to build their credibility um, within the context of the hard reality that sometimes it, you know, it means diversifying from a gender perspective, sometimes an age perspective, um, but really thinking about what is necessary to take the company to the next level. Yeah, I don't look, I've seen both versions of this i don't think an, an all-female team or an all-male team is is uh, playing to its long-term advantage um it's just we all have our own biases whether they're you know gender or sex-based or whatever and uh you know diverse isn't solely being non-white male exactly no i'm in a i'm in a clean, complete agreement with that and um so Look, sexual harassment is obviously in the news, uh, uh, thanks to Harvey Weinstein and and others. But the 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 issue of uh, sexual harassment and inappropriate behavior in the VC community uh, was kind of got its uh, set on fire about eighteen months ago. And I'm curious when you you said that you know knowledge is power. Um, how do you do you address some of these issues in your you know, curriculum and your training? And, and if so, how? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a such a sensitive topic um, for women. Right. And I think. Our I would say the way that we address this, of course, is that, you know, we 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 bring in entrepreneurs that are out there successfully raising money that that have raised VC to share their experiences and their stories and their tactics, right? So I think role modeling plays a really important, um, really important role. I think from a broader mission perspective, both for WinLab and the Center for Women's Entrepreneurial Leadership at Babson, um, we're really thinking about ways that we can 
collaborate and partner with the VC community just to raise awareness and and action um, to, to make a change in this area. Because I think until we're really able to shift some of these behaviors and the perception of women, quite frankly, as, as sex objects, um, we're not getting at the heart of the issue. And, and so you do you address the, you know, head on that, you know, some of the behaviors that they unfortunately may be prepared to see when they outraise capital, like the male investor who wants to talk to them about their business plan at a really cool dark bar <laughs> or. And, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and I think the community is is. You know, it's interesting how the ecosystem can work, that there's always intel about the investors that are are more have have a more diversified portfolio than others and certain ones have certain reputations and so just discussing specific tactics around how to deal with not only specific players but specific situations yeah it's interesting first of all uh, i find it um entertaining and pun intended to watch Hollywood kind of eat itself now over this issue uh, and the hypocrisy of it. But I would imagine that the uh, emphasis placed on the issue in general will uh, be, there'll be a lot more light placed on this in all industries as a result, which is a positive outcome of a very terrible thing with uh, Mr. Weinstein. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think there's, you know, I would say a movement now at least I don't think the exposure is necessarily surprising everyone, but at least there's more thoughtfulness around how to address it. And, and I think it's happening in the corporate sector and, you know, ac- across these different sectors and the way that the dialogue is being elevated is really important. You know, you had said something earlier about that, you know, one of your motivations for getting involved in WinLab was because you felt like you were pitching to uh, men that just didn't understand your business. Um, do women self-select the industries that they go in to some extent, or is that a myth? Yeah, you know, I think my anecdotal experience at this point is that the millennials are really changing that paradigm. Um, so, you know, I think in the past, again, there's been a lot of socialization around for women, and it's been role modeled for women, the types of industries that they're going to be most more successful in. Um I think that techno- the technology, um, th- there are certain industries currently that are, are really shifting that. Um, and we see our entrepreneurs applying to the WinLab that are starting businesses across sectors. And so I, I, I do think that, that that's really changing currently. But if I'm a, you know, they're still just in visiting with some of the accelerators, I still see some. Um, it's it's not as surprising to see uh, education-oriented uh, products, tools um, that come along, and it's women founders, uh, and it's and so if there is selection, self-selection to some extent still, and I think there is still to some extent, and even though it's lessening, as you said. You know, what is the strategy for them to go and find the appropriate capital when they come out of an accelerator like yours? I mean, if because I, I think the challenge is uh, some men just don't get it uh, sometimes, and you experience that. Should they be? Should certain certain sectors be trying harder to go talk to the 
37 angels and uh, the golden seeds of the world. Yeah, I mean, I think this is where there's such vast opportunity that's being left on the table, right? Because there are certain industries that gender really comes into play in terms of understanding the market, right? So gendered industries, I'm thinking about, you know, the baby and the breastfeeding space, there's incredible innovation that's happening around um, in that industry. And um, when you when you think from a consumer perspective, it's just really critical to have women investors at the table. And so, you know, I, I think it's, it's really fantastic to see, um, you know, I think there's grassroots efforts happening in Miami, you know, there's the pipeline angels, there's the golden seas of the world that are, are really making up, making an effort to create a bigger, a broader pipeline of women investors, training them um, to really get them a seat at the table. And I think that is what is truly going to help shift the gap when it comes to funding women. Well, and if nothing else, what will happen is the competitiveness will eventually force funds to hire more women into their leadership uh, because they don't want everybody else. They don't want to cede, you know, women founded businesses to, you know, women specialized funds. I mean, forget altruism or any social aspect of it. Just uh, greed should have a change over time, I would hope. Yeah, that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. But but there are other issues that, uh, you know, women founded businesses face and uh, they're not all related to sexual harassment or the difficulty of uh, raising capital. Um, what are some of the other, you know, myths about, you know, women entrepreneurs that you hear? And and let's kick that around for a little bit because these are not the only two issues. These are just the two most popular. Yeah, I think there are, I think the media is really still fueling um, gendered stereotypes that impact the way women entrepreneurs are perceived, right? So, I think confidence and risk are, are two of the, the ones that I personally, I, I see on almost a daily basis. Um, women are risk averse. And, and I don't think that's really true. I've started delving into some of the research um, and looking at it. And, and much of the empirical data shows that women are more risk averse than men when it comes to the financial markets, um, where women ha- have actually shown more caution. But the research also shows that um, men operate and show kind of a, an express and overconfidence bias that has negative impacts on the investment and trading floor, right? So um, I think I think it's just really important to, to be aware of our, the overconfidence bias that may be, dri- may be driven by men. Um, and and to what we really see, we recognize women as risk rational, right? So that Oftentimes, it, it can be a real positive force um, in business and entrepreneurship. And are, you know, what about the I, the myth, or at least the, you sometimes think that uh, that women don't think big enough? I mean, is this is this something you hear too, or or no? Yeah, absolutely. This was really the impetus for us to start the Win Lab, right? Is to kind of shift shift people's mindset around um, whether or not women can be high growth entrepreneurs because we absolutely do believe that they can. And I think that's something we, we've paid attention to. Again, I kind of mentioned in, in early stages that I think um, sometimes women's self-efficacy may need to be in, um, 
fostered in a way that's different from men in those early stages, but with, with certain ingredients, they, when they, you know, they absolutely can, what we're seeing with our winners is at scale and, and be successful, um, be as, as successful as their male, their male counterparts. Are there other myths out there? Or have we covered most of them? Yeah, I think we talked a little bit about the, the funding gap and whether or not women are investable. And, you know, I, I think as, as we start to really get to the heart at what's, you know, the social t- relationship capital issues, kind of the gendered perception in the pitch room, um, as we really start to get at some of the issues that are preventing women from accessing capital and we continue to invest in women-owned businesses and their success, I, I think that perception is shifting as well. So if I'm a woman founder or co-founder uh, and I'm interested in applying, uh, how do I learn more about WinLab? Where do I go? Yeah, so you can start with visiting um, the winlab.org, which will have all of our most up-to-date information. Um, we have also, if you follow us on Twitter, at Babson Win. Um, you can find out about our ecosystem events that are open to public to the public just to come get a sense of what we're all about. Um, and of course you can contact me. I'm happy to answer any questions for interested applicants. And are you is your is your contact information on the on the web or do you want to share yes, it? Yes it is. Okay, sure. It is. And I, I'm I'm happy to share it. It's um H M A C N E I L at Babson.edu. Very good. And if, do I have to be a uh, Miami domiciled startup to, to be in Miami, or do, must I be an entrepreneur from the Boston area to participate in the Boston Wind Lab? Great question. No, you don't. Um, you have to commit. So in, in Miami, our sessions are held on Tuesday nights from 6 to 9. You do need to commit to physically being present for those at CIC. Same thing at, at Boston, but if you're willing to travel from – Florida or other other areas of the U.S., we, we welcome that. Very cool. Uh, Heather Jean, I'll say it again. Uh, I am super impressed with WinLab. Um, I have, uh, I, from the very first time I went to the your demo day last year for the first cohort in Miami, I was extremely impressed with uh, the, uh, the women that you had attracted to your program and the amount of development you're only able to do in two months. And it's been fun to get to know some of these ladies and see the progress that they're making and, and see them, you know, continuing to do well and win startup competitions after they graduate from the program. And I congratulate you on really doing a super job. And uh, thank you so much for being our guest today. Bob, thank you so much. And, and thank you for your continued support of the program. It's been really fantastic. My pleasure.